Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD plus. It's what I use. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is that donkeys kill more people annually than plane crashes, which is why you should be more afraid of donkeys than you should be afraid of flying. And because that was a short cool fact, and we always have cool, cool facts of the day, the other one is that you burn more calories sleeping than you do watching TV, even more so if you make the room colder when you go to sleep. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. I'm really excited about today's podcast because today's guest is a friend and a luminary in the field. Donna Gates is the creator of the Body Ecology Diet. This is one of the first diets out there that was really looking at the role of gut health and histamine and yeast in the body. And Donna's done work with all kinds of people, including autistic children, in looking at how gut health influences your brain. Now, you may be listening to this and saying, I'm not an autistic child. What's in this podcast for me? Number one, you may be an autistic child and just not know it. But more likely than that, you are an adult who has brain function, either problems or abilities. 
either way, whether your brain works perfectly as you see it all the time, or whether you know you're tired and foggy some of the time, your gut health still impacts your ability to think. And that's why I've invited Donna on the show today, because she's spent many years in the field. Her work stands as the foundation for things like the specific carbohydrate diet and the GAPS diet and things like that. So Donna, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking time today to be with us. Well, thanks for having me on. I've actually been looking forward to this all week long, all weekend long. So I hope you asked me the right questions. I mean, I hope you ask questions I can answer. Well, given the times we've sat down, uh, we usually tend to geek out and talk about all sorts of unusual gut things. So I'm going to do my best to not ask you all the weird questions about specific species of, of gut microbes, unless they're relevant to, to everyone out here. But I know that in all the questions I've asked you so far, you've more than kept up, which makes sense given as much as you've studied this. First off, what is, what's your background? How did you get to be the person who created the body ecology diet? Well, I think a whole lot of people start off like you did, um, not well, and they go looking for answers, and I did. But really looking back now, I think, you know, there's a destiny sometimes to your life because I remember being a little southern girl with, you know, fried chicken and lots of vegetables. All the veg we had a lot of vegetables, but they always had fat back in them, and so really a bad diet. Um, but I did notice that I was really into food, and I kept noticing if people, like my grandfather poured pepper all over everything, and his plate was black. And so I would watch people and see what was going on with them, you know, based on what they were eating. So I think at an early age, I was already beginning to somehow came in already, probably knowing that food was medicine. So I was very fascinated, went to college to study that. It was not, you know, I went to work in a VA hospital after, um, just before I graduated with the, you know, I was going to be a registered dietitian. It was a terrible experience. Um, hospitals are the last place in the world anybody would want to be. They had me down in the kitchen loading the dishwasher, and I thought, this is a sign that this is not what I'm supposed to do with my life. So I, I went to school and graduate, went back to school and graduated finally with a degree in um, child development, which is useful actually. And then um, I just never stopped studying. And then you know, I, I think twists and turns, like so many different doors opened at the right time for me to, like when I started work ten years into the work that I've been doing now, I started working with autistic children. So they came later, but. You know, when you work with an autistic child, they have everything that's wrong with them is wrong with their, is wrong with us too. It's just that we don't have that behavioral brain issue going on, uh, not like they do. And so, working with autistic children is extraordinary training. So, so you um, you view autistic kids as kind of the canaries in the coal mine. In the coal mine, it mm -hmm. is okay. So the things that they are, they really are. Okay. They're 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 truly a sign that. This generation, you know, the generation, for example, that your children belong to, they're really, as a whole, in serious trouble. And, and you know, the human is being, we're protected. And so we can't really see, um, for example, this is a little complicated, but I hope I can explain it well. <clears throat> your wife, let's use Lana, for example. When your two little kids, when she was, uh, when Lana was inside her mom, and her, her ovaries formed right away, immediately. Yeah. But in the fifth month, her the eggs, you know, the woman's ovaries, the eggs fill up uh, with the ovaries fill up with eggs in the fifth month. So, in other words, Lana's mother's health determined the quality of those eggs. Yeah. And so, then you met Lana. You had two beautiful kids. 
they really are coasting on two generations back. Does that make sense? It's the whole and epigenetics then, argument, right? Well, well, it's just the fact that your children are showing you your grandmother's health, their grandmother's health, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes a couple of generations before we see that kids are in trouble. So what we're going to see when, like your children, when they grow up most in, in their generation as a whole, because your kids are unique, uh, they are going to have trouble with fertility. They won't be able to reproduce. Um, it's going to be a, a real serious problem. A lot of birth defects and sad things. It's going to, we're, we're looking at disaster and everybody's kind of either not looking at it or they're burying in the, their head in the sand hoping that it doesn't happen. But it's going to happen if we don't do something. And I think that's why I'm really fascinated because there have been, like me, I've been doing this work for over 20 years. There's a lot of us that have been doing work for a long time, sometimes on our own little planet doing our thing. But what's happened right now is a whole bunch of people are coming together, like you and I meeting and Sarah Godfrey and JJ, and a whole bunch of us are bringing our tribes together, you know, sharing information, helping each other. So that tells me that we're really at the tipping point, and it's very exciting. There's never been a time where so many people are bringing information. Even though there's a little bit of um, difference in what some of us are teaching, mostly there's the truth in what we're teaching. You know, a lot of us say the same thing in different ways. So I, it's just going to be an extraordinary time for these children. I think just in time we're going to turn things around. Well, I, I certainly hope so. I, I can tell you, not that worried about a global population problem um, because the, the research for the Better Baby book really taught me, well, <laughs> fertility rates are declining so precipitously mm -hmm. that already one in eight couples doesn't conceive naturally. They just can't do it. So you fast forward another generation or two and we don't have to worry about there being that many billions of people. Um, I'm glad you yeah. said that. And I have a friend who's an endocrinologist and he's really well known. He teaches a bunch of other ones. And he was telling me that they, uh, have, what they're seeing is that many couples are actually becoming pregnant and conceiving. But nature is very, very strict. And so in the first 28 days of life, you know, yeah. if that baby's not going to be really close to perfect, it, that baby isn't, I mean, that the, the woman loses, you know, she thinks she's having a normal period. She has no idea she was pregnant. That's happening a lot, too. So we are conceiving, but there's not a healthy enough embryo to, to become a baby. Yeah, it's it's a scary ongoing problem. And it's not just even the women, men too. You get unhealthy men who are fathers and then the chances of there being birth defects happens as well. Mm -hmm. So let's, we'll say we agree that, that there's a, a major multi-generational problem. Let's take a child who's born and develops autism. They're probably born with a more hyper, hyper-focused or hyper-aware immune system. So they're getting some autoimmunity they probably have some problems with their gut bacteria. They may have some problems with toxic metals or with mold toxins. Some mm -hmm. external event precipitates a, an autoimmune neurological condition. Um, now, you have a series of things largely affecting gut health that can help to turn this around. What if you take those same types of things and you give those to someone who doesn't have autism? What typically happens to those people? Well, you know, almost everybody today, without realizing it or not, they've got some gut dysbiosis going on. <laughs> yeah. So, honest, anybody is going to improve if they take sugar out of their diet, gluten out of their diet. And, of course, you know I'm a big proponent of fermented foods, and we have to go into that yeah. because I'm, um, 
there's a subset of people that don't do well in fermented foods at first. So I want to. I know you want to talk about that, but um, it's just you know you know even if you don't have a gut problem today, you could have one tomorrow. It's easy to shift the balance of the microbes in the gut. Um, people are struggling with things that they don't even know is connected with the gut. For example, depression. You know, you may feel flat and, and just life is just depressing simply because you have the wrong microbes in your gut. Or uh, obesity, you know, a lot, you will find many people saying, well, I don't need anything. I really don't. And I know they're telling the truth, so that's not an issue. Um, they really aren't eating anything and they're not even eat, eating bad foods, but they've yeah. got the wrong bacteria in their gut. And so they're, they're every, every little bit they're eating, no matter what they're eating, is making them fat. So. I think I was in that camp when I weighed 300 pounds. I really did eat less than my thin friends. And it was not about willpower or laziness or any of that. It was mm -hmm. just about, sorry, calories in does not equal calories out, partly because of the gut biome, partly because of hormones. But you were in a really stressful uh, job. And, you know, stress kills the good bacteria and that lets the bad ones uh, grow. And so we live, for many, many of us, we live in a really stressful world, partly because we choose to. You know, mm -hmm. we, it's not that we're, some of us don't have that much, we don't, maybe don't have financial problems or we don't have health, um, we have wonderful children, all the things that some people are, have a problem with. And some of us don't have those problems and yet we, we do too much. You know, we watch TV and we watch these exciting shows at night that make our cortisol go up, we don't sleep enough. And or we just choose to do too much. I mean, I choose to do, I'm in that category. I deliberately choose to fill up my plate with too many things. So I create my own stress. Yet you have a reasonably healthy gut biome, right? Well, I take care of that because I honestly do have the knowledge and the science. You know, see, when I, okay, so years ago when I started doing body ecology uh, and I came up with that term, so this is why, again, I think there's always a little bit of divine intervention sometimes in what happens in your life. I, I even came up with this term, body ecology, before I put the whole thing together and began talking about the gut ecology. But we have an ecology on us and in us. And so I started, you know, I first got into the whole thing because I was, I, um, I was trying to get well. And then along the way, I met Dr. Crook and he'd written the Yeast Connection. And I thought, aha, I have years of antibiotics, you know, I, birth control pills, um, stress, those things. I have a yeast infection like mil millions of women do. So I thought, I'm going to figure out how to get over a yeast infection because his book wasn't very, uh, wasn't quite strict enough. And so I'd had a lot of training at that point uh, in, in, in natural medicine, natural healing, Chinese medicine, all that. So I thought, I'm going to find the answer. And um, I started from scratch looking at the condition. Not that much was known about it then. Looking at foods and matching that up. But then down the road, I, uh, you know, was constantly learning more and more, and I began to understand about the immune system. You have to have a really strong immune system to overcome candidiasis. Also, um, you know, I began to stumble on information that was available only to microbiologists. We people did not have this information, and I um, started uh, learning about these bacteria that are supposed to be in our gut, and they're not there in many, many people. And I started, I literally had to coin a term called the inner ecosystem to be able to talk to people about this world that exists inside our gut. Uh, the inner ecosystem was a term I coined, but then I started finding, actually finding science to show what these microbes yeah. do in the, in the gut. And that's how it all started, really. So if we take someone who 
say, doesn't know they have a gut problem and they do something to improve the health of their gut, what are the typical things that they experience? Uh, well, there's, they're going to feel happier and uh, everything. I mean, literally, there's nothing that the gut doesn't affect. It's your brain, of course, everything, you become more focused, you'll, um, uh, you'll have more energy, you will... Uh, you know, this, every single cell in the body, every the mitochondria, they're all benefiting from a healthy gut. There's not a single cell that isn't harmed by a bad a gut that's got problems or a single cell that isn't helped when you fix the gut. Okay, so there's two big things. People who are already performing well when they do things to improve their gut can mm -hmm. get increased energy and increased focus. Right? Now, if you're listening to this, this is why I wanted to have uh, Donna on the show. Because this isn't something that is just about autistic kids or sick people or people with IBS. The bottom line is that if you're eating a normal or somewhat considered normal American diet, you're eating all sorts of foods, a lot of them processed, and you're eating foods that have things that kill bacteria in your gut. And you're probably putting yourself through quite a lot of stress. So if you want to be a resilient beast, mm -hmm. uh, which is certainly a, a part of, of being bulletproof, is just building high-performance resilience. So yeah, you, you might yeah. go through stress, but your gut biome doesn't get destroyed and you don't get destroyed. Okay, that, that's super valuable, and this matters if you're a professional athlete, whether you know, you're some big-time business person, whatever. So Donna, now people are interested. What are the two or three things they should do right now that's going to help their gut? Uh, well, I think fermented foods, of course, are a must. And um, food combining, I think, is a great thing to do because um, if you eat a meal, let's say a typical sandwich with a piece of meat in the middle of two pieces of bread, uh, that's very hard to digest. Let's say you eat a piece of chicken with rice and gravy or a steak with a baked potato. That's a really complex meal. Typical American breakfast on the weekends is orange juice, maybe pancakes, French toast or something, maybe some eggs and bacon. Uh, that's really hard for the body to digest. So I th I'm a big believer in food combining. Um, and I think using digestive enzymes is very smart. Those would be my three top things I'd say to do. But I wanted to point out, Dave, that I know you have a big following of people that exercise a lot. Overtraining and exercising, yeah. that's a stress in the body. It is. And that will kill the bacteria. So even though uh, I think everybody is under a certain level of stress, and so I think people need to be mindful all the time of protecting their gut using digestive enzymes, eating fermented foods so that you're putting this new supply of bacteria in the gut all the time on a regular everyday basis. So one interesting point for people listening to this, a lot of digestive enzymes are made from aspergillus, the fungus. A lot of people don't do as well on those. So my experience with digestive enzymes is that, heck yeah, Don, I agree with that recommendation 100%. But look for digestive enzymes that don't come from basically a form of mold. Well, those are your plant-based ones, but hydrochloric acid, uh, hydrochloric acid, pepsin, and um, pancreatin are not from that source. So those yeah, are those are animal eater. Yeah, those are the ones that I take. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, those are good. And so the ones that are plant-based, those are the ones that come from. Uh, the ones that come from aspergillus, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. In other words, digestive enzymes don't usually come from plants. They come from animals. So things that come from an, an animal, like from their digestive tract, are usually pretty good. Things like ox bile, um, yeah. things like pancreatin that comes from an animal source. And, and they tend to be low as we get, mm -hmm. as we stress out, as we get age. Those are the ones that we start to stop making. And so replacing those makes sense. 
I've been taking those with just about every meal for 15 years. And I think it's, mm-hmm. it's just important because even yeah. if you have a somewhat healthy gut, supporting that is just a good idea. Okay. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I, me too. I'm pretty religious about taking digestive enzymes. Now, let's talk about food combining. And to be really open about it, I experimented with food combining a long time ago. I was really strict. I kept logs. This is like more than 10 years ago when I was doing mm-hmm. some of the nutritional stuff that I was figuring out. So I kept logs, you know, don't eat watermelon with this, you know, never eat lemon and cantaloupe together and all these other weird rules that honestly didn't always make that much sense. And I never detected a single difference in my health from it. So why food combining? Why is it in your top three? Well, because um, what I would, uh, to me, lemon and can, uh, watermelon are fine together. I'm kidding. I don't but, remember what it was, but yeah, watermelon had okay. a special status. And, you know, it was just like, really? Some of this is a bit excessive. But. Well, I, okay. So really simply, um, fruit digests very, very quickly. So if you're going to eat a piece of fruit, it's going to be in and out of the stomach in about 30 minutes. So if you eat a piece of toast, let's say, with the fruit, bowl of cereal with milk, it's all trapped in there, and it's going to cause gas and bloating. And, and so you're fermenting that food, basically, in a, in a bad kind of way. And then um, as far as um, meat goes, like if you have a piece of turkey, let's say, put it on a sandwich, two pieces of bread, you're, um, same thing. Like that's very complex. You know, that's just difficult. You're asking a lot of the digestive tract to do that. Now, if you've got a real strong digestive tract, then forget about food combining. But if you are sensitive, then it makes a big difference. And so what I would put with a piece of chicken or uh, lamb or fish or something is just vegetables, non-starchy vegetables. And there's tons of those, asparagus, green beans, broccoli, and tons of them. Um, and then if I were having um, re- something like resistant starch, I know that's a big term in your community, and a rice or quinoa millet, I would put that with vegetables too. And what about so, fat? Would you mix fat with that? Yeah, fat can go with anything. Cool. You know, good fats can yeah, go with anything. Yeah, you know, butter goes with everything, even watermelon, right? Probably so. I haven't done that. <laughs> Sounds disgusting. Oh, 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 wait, you reminded me of something. I got to say this. Actually, fat would be good to have with watermelon because watermelon is very sweet, mm-hmm. and when you put um, uh, fat into a meal where there's sugar, it slows down the assimilation of the fat. So yes, that would be a good combination. Okay. If someone makes a watermelon butter smoothie and drinks it, I will be shocked and amazed and only slightly disgusted. But I imagine we'll see that on YouTube, Donna, because we just had this conversation. <laughs> well, I would rather them not put um, the watermelon in there, but they could use some other fruit. And then yeah. what I'd like to see them do is use medium chain brain octane oil instead. I think that would be a nicer, lighter combination. Yeah, if you're doing a fruit smoothie, uh, certainly uh, um, putting some fat in there makes it so much more satisfying and helps Mm -hmm. to stop the food cravings. Because you mentioned fruit digests really quickly. And then, like, honestly, you don't need much fruit. And if you're going to eat fruit, eat the really high-nutrient fruit that's low in fructose. And that's why the Bulletproof Mm -hmm. Diet uh, Roadmap has them sort of ranked in that order. Yeah, I love your chart, by the way. We're, We're just, like, so close and our thinking is 100% on Yeah, we, we agree on, on – well, mm-hmm. I think I have some questions about fermented food we're about to get to, but we agree on That's like 99% different. of things. And, and it's those little differences where some people listening are like, oh, my God, seriously, like who cares? But I'll tell you who cares. Like people who want to kick ass care <laughs> because yeah. like it's those and, little and differences that separate the winners from the losers. It's, it's a hundredth of a yeah, second. And- you know, another thing that's going on, a huge number of people, I want to say at least 80% of people have 
yeast infections in their body. That's another reason why fruit, especially the sweet fruits, are not good. You always have to realize that somebody who's not well from any condition you can think of, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, whatever you can come up with, they're going to have a yeast infection. And so you've got to always be mindful not to feed those yeast. What about protein so and fat as a percentage of it on the body ecology diet? Where do those okay, come so, in? so based on the way the body likes to function, uh, I like for people to just begin bringing uh, protein in their diet from 11 to 2. That's the time of the day when the body really is needing it. Well, it depends on what time you get up in the morning. Sure. And, but for the most part, by 11 o'clock, your body needs it. Um, maybe sooner for some people because the brain needs that pro protein to wake up and to function. Also, animal protein makes us feel grounded. But by the end of the day, if you switch then to the quinoa melon, lots and lots of vegetables, and a little bit of fermented food kind of a diet, you're actually going to produce a lot more serotonin, and that calms you down, and then you start to go to sleep. And because, uh, you know, serotonin turns into melatonin, I think we need that calming. Um, quality. I know that's true for blood type A. You know, I happen to have met Dr. Peter Diodamo's father about 36 years ago. I was actually went to him as a patient because I was trying to find answers myself. And, and when I learned about blood type, blood type uh, in his diet, I was really intrigued. Now, his diet, originally the father had a different diet than Peter has. Peter changed his father's diet, actually. I think actually the father's diet is more accurate. But from that point on, 36 years ago, I started asking everybody, what's your blood type? What's your blood type? When I started working with autistic children, I asked their mothers, what's your blood type? What's your son's blood type? Almost all of them are blood type A. Eight out of ten of those kids are blood type A. And I put that out into the autism community. It's much more well-known now. So to me, that says something, statistically says something. So I find especially blood type A, needs that, that more of those kind of foods in their diet, the quinoa, the millet. I mean, they need them on a consistent basis. They don't need a lot, but they need it because it's got a calming quality to, to, for their body. What would happen if they instead just used a straight resistant starch, like a plantain flour or the high maize resistant starch or even potato starch, as a way of avoiding the more, uh, we'll call it the more aggressive fibers that are in seeds and still getting all the stuff that ferments? It's almost like resistant starch is, it's not technically a, a fiber, but it oftentimes occurs with fiber. So like, like I, I've, I've had negative results with most, including like millet and buckwheat and, mm -hmm. and those other oh, things. So um, I'm trying to understand, I mean, yeah. you have well, a lot of experience. Potatoes so. are fine. Like for that reason, we have um, the red skin potatoes on the diet because they're, uh, they're providing that resistant starch. We've got to watch out for sugar, though, because candidiasis yeah. is such a problem. And so, you know, red skin potatoes are the lowest in starch and sugar. So we're, I, in, you know, I think those are great, too. What about lectins? I mean, aren't those a substantial issue for 20% of people at least? Well, you see, now, now what we're really talking about are people who have gut problems because we shouldn't be reacting to simple components of food like that. And when I find people reacting to histamine or... Uh, lectins and so on, uh, it's because they lack this this inner ecosystem and they don't have the bacteria going in their body on a regular basis. Hardy, robust bacteria, diversity of bacteria that's so critical. That's what allows us to eat a lot of foods that we're, that we're reacting to. So I've read studies that say 20% of all cases of rheumatoid arthritis come from the nightshade family. Mm -hmm. um, potatoes, tomatoes, eggplants, bell peppers. And I've mm -hmm. had so many clients and other people on the blog like, wow, I, I, I thought you were nuts. I enjoy my you know, red pepper flakes, whatever it is. But I finally for a week tried 
doing no nightshades and what do you know like all of my problems resolved and I feel mm -hmm. like like my little brain fog went away and like wow I didn't know I could feel this good so others are like you know I'm pretty darn I've tested it either way I do perfectly fine with it so well, and tomatoes are two of those nightshades and they yeah. have histamine in them as you know food has histamine in it sure. and everybody as you know creates histamine uh, I usually tell people stay off those um, nightshades for the most part uh, except for, you know, the red skin potatoes, and that's just if they tolerate them. Like one of our seven yeah. principles in body ecology is the principle of uniqueness. So if there's something on, that we're saying, you know, is safe for eating because it doesn't feed yeast, it doesn't mean it should be in your body because your body is unique and it might be bothering you. It's it's kind of funny uh, because on the Bulletproof Diet as a roadmap, I'm like here's the cleanest, least inflammatory, least offensive things possible. Get them all right. Mm -hmm. And then like start adding in mm -hmm. red potatoes or whatever else and see what, what you react to. And I find that a huge number of people react to things that they didn't know they were reacting to, which is kind of what you would do on a, a food elimination diet, which I, I did a long time ago in like the mid to late 90s I was working on that. The problem is it takes months and months to eliminate a class of foods and then add them back in one at a time. Mm -hmm. It's kind of easier just mm -hmm. like eliminate everything and add them back in one at a time. But okay, so that explains. Uh, oh, but I want to add one little thing sure. too. Um, I disagree with that. With which one? Somebody made about arthritis because I know another cause of arthritis is um, oxalates. You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> in plants. And another issue is very uh, often that they're just toxic. You know, they're toxins. The liver is not, yeah. has for a long, long time been able to really process toxins. And then you've got a lot of, in Chinese medicine, the liver um, affects our skin, our eyes, our joints. So that creaky joints and stiffness and everything is coming because our liver is getting more, more congested. So I think it's can be a numerous thing, you know, not well, just one thing causing well, that your... was only 20% of all of all the cases. The other 80%, yeah, oxalates are a huge thing. And, and I'm, especially on the latest Bulletproof Diet infographic, um, which if you haven't heard, if this is your first time hearing the show, bulletproofdietbook.com, you can download it for free. When you... Uh, when you check that out, though, what you'll find is I'm like, you have to cook these vegetables because of the oxalic acid connection. And all these people doing this raw kale smoothie thing, like mm -hmm. I've written, like, here's the oh. protocol for removing oxalates and oxalic oh. acid. Because if you don't, like, it is going to mess you up. Well, actually, and it's not just cooking them. Like, like believe it or not, sweet potatoes and green beans are high oxalate spinach. You you need to cook them in water and then throw off yes. water. And and quinoa and millet, by the way, there's seeds. Oh, okay, so here are your high oxalate foods. There's nuts and seeds, chocolate, spinach, and um, so and nuts and seeds would be quinoa and millet. So they and then there's a whole bunch of other vegetables like sweet potatoes and green beans as I mentioned. But what I'm telling people to do these days, now that I understand about oxalates, thanks to my work with autism, is I, I actually take a big pot of water, get that boiling like you were gonna boil pasta, put in some salt, drop in your soaked quinoa millet, boil them for about well, ten about eleven minutes for the quinoa, about thirteen, fifteen minutes for the millet, then drain all that water off. And then catch the you know the quinoa at the end there, and then it's very nice, very fluffy and delicious when it's cooked like that. But also you've gotten rid of the oxalates. You just pour them down the drain. So if the way food is prepared is another art really to making food medicine. It's the same with uh, with kale and all the brassicas. And dump the water, and I actually recommend something called calcium loading um, that I uh, I invented. The idea being add calcium to the water. It's calcium carbonate, which will precipitate out the oxalic acid. That way any oxalates that are left are already put in a crystallized form so you can excrete them. Otherwise, the oxalic 
acid enters the body, binds with calcium in the tissues, and causes way more damage. So at least isolate the oxalic acid in the GI tract. And uh, like I, I just cringe when I see these. You know, a, a lot of my you know CrossFit friends are. I'm going to do a kale smoothie. You know, raw kale in the morning. I'm like your they thyroid, spinach, your, your joints. They put their spinach in. Uh, yeah, raw spinach too. A big one. But um, according to the University of Nebraska, because again, oxalates are a big issue in the community. Mm-hmm. Autism community kale's fine, so is cabbage and. Which broccoli. species of kale, though, right? Because the um, the lacy uh, kale is not okay. fine. We, we we probably both need to look into that. Yeah. But uh, Susan Owens has a really good up to date list um, of, you know, she, they, that's a big community. Uh, her work is probably the most advanced with mm-hmm. oxalates, but um, she's her. It's just to try if they just people just type in Susan Owens trying low oxalates, they'll find her. Mm-hmm. And then look into that because I do really think it's a very important piece of information that people are missing. Again, trying to be healthy, thinking these seeds are healthy, eating a lot of nuts and seeds. I, I see people putting a lot of almond milk in their smoothies, and that's another extremely high source of oxalates. So what they're doing without knowing it is adding a lot of um, oxalates throughout the day. They don't really, and that little piece of chocolate, that little square piece of chocolate that. We see the research that says it's good for you for all these reasons. It's also got a backside to it. That's one thing I want everybody to understand is every single thing we put in our body has a positive and negative side to it. It might be good for you. It may be harming you. And you'll keep seeing research on, you know, this food. Here's its benefits. And then you milk is a good example. For mm-hmm. some people, it's a poison. For some people, they do great with it, particularly if they ferment it. But um, we're also unique, so so we need to find out the foods that are best for us. And that's where uh, this whole new world that's opening up on nutritional genetics, nutritional it's called nutritional genomics, yep. is very, very exciting because we're going to be able to, well, actually even now, we can get our genes tested. How important in your methodology is the source of the saturated fat versus just saying all saturated fats are the same? Because clearly MCTs are doing oh, something yeah, different yeah. than butter. Butyric acid is doing... Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No. I, no, butyric acid is very, okay. very good for the gut. Right. And bacteria need it too. Medium chain triglyceride, excellent mm-hmm. for the bacteria in the gut. The bacteria need it, and it's healing to the gut. Both of those are healing to the gut and yeah. protective to the gut lining. So that's a, a whole different category. And then you have to bring in factor the genes. So your genes, uh, you genetically maybe a need more fat in your diet, and somebody else will have to limit the amount of saturated fat. And quality is everything. What, what happens if someone who has genes for less fat that you're talking about, what happens if they don't lower their saturated fat? Well, uh, it's destroying the bacteria in their gut, and then there's the bad guys. The good guys go, and the bad ones take over, like Wadsworthia. And Wadsworthia causes inflammation to the gut lining. Mm-hmm. And, and then there we have, now we have this permeable gut lining. Things are going to begin leaking through. It's affecting every cell in the body. It's affecting the brain as well. Protecting the gut lining. You know, the gut lining is one cell layer thick. And where our skin, I think, has like seven or nine layers mm-hmm. to penetrate it. The gut lining has one cell layer, so we have to protect that little one cell layer. The bacteria nestled into that, and it's very easy to destroy it. And even stress destroys it, but the bacteria are there to protect us. We were talking about oxalates earlier. I wanted to mention that around the age that we start crawling, we get a bacteria in our gut called Oxalobacter formigenes. And if we take an antibiotic, and who hasn't? Yeah. We lose Mr. Oxalobacter, and he usually never comes back again. And so 
there's nobody eating the oxalates in the food. So a couple of other bacteria try to take over, like Plantarum is a good one, some of the bifidus bacteria, bifidus infantis. They try to do his job, but they never do it like he does it. And so, again, so many things that we're talking about come back to these bacteria and what they're doing. So I think the gut, the bacteria, and our genes are a key to, uh, bit of information we're always going to need to look at. And we'll be able to, we can now because the science is going there. The other thing is the bacteria in our gut have their genes. So if we have, say, 28,000 genes of our own, every single cell in our body has the same set of genes in them. So we have all of our cells with all of our genes, say 28,000 or so genes. They don't know exactly the number. But then we have these bacteria, and they've got way, 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 way more genes than we do, each one of them, and there are trillions of them. Now we have another thing going on where what we're eating is affecting our genes, our bacteria's genes, our genes and our bacteria's genes. So, you know, these are all the... This is like a no, new area of science that's just coming out. It's very exciting because it's going to clear up the controversy over should I eat this or is this good for me? People are so confused because this expert says this and this expert says that. We have our areas hugely where we agree and a little bit of area where we disagree. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's going to boil down to what's right for your body and the genes are going to be able to tell us that. And, of course, having the bacteria. We've got to look at our genes we've got to look at our bacteria. Uh, definitely agree. More genetics and more bacteria analysis, hugely important. And when I talk with uh, Bulletproof people about, you know, what tests you want to do, you want to look at your inflammation levels. You want to look at what's going on in the gut biome and you want to look at your 23andMe results so you can see where your detox protocols are. And when you get those things, you're like, yeah, very you, you can learn a lot. Yes, um, very important. I totally agree. Top three recommendations for people who want to perform better. I've asked every guest on the show except... Uh, except one, um, that question. So not just for gut health, just your entire life and all of your wisdom, what are the three things that people should know? Not, not about diet? Oh, it can be about diet, but whatever the okay. most important things you've learned in your path. Sure, it's your mm, most important. You know, I think that the most important thing I've learned is that it takes courage to live in this world. There's a lot of things that keep, you know, obstacles that presenting, present themselves in front of us. And you just have to really get a, pull up your courage from somewhere and keep on going. Um, I don't see that people have enough courage. I think we are in a mess right now because people, uh, they're, they're not coming from a place of courage. I also think people uh, don't understand the, um, the long-term effects. Like, like, for example, I'm really, really concerned about the future of our children. And we're selfishly... Uh, living, we, you know, we eat, we eat what we want, for example, and somebody, the waitress comes to the table and says, what do you want? And your mom says, what do you want to eat? We shouldn't be eating that way. We should be eating what our body needs, and our body will tell us uh, what it needs, and mm -hmm. then um, we, we have to train ourselves. Like, in other words, tune into the body and say, hmm, what do I need right now? I need some protein. I want some kale. You know, I'm needing a little more salt in my diet right now. Our body does tell us what it needs. So I would say develop that intuition, that relationship with your body, and start giving your body what it needs, not what you want. That's a very selfish thing that we're doing. And then, of course, I guess I'd have to say diet-wise, you got to get the sugar out of your diet. you got to get the good fats in your diet. And I think adding fermented foods and having that healthy gut mi <laughs> microbiome is... Yeah. Really, really key. And I, I say that because literally we've helped hundreds of children who are very, very sick. 
totally turn their right, life around and become well because they started with the fermented food. So I have to stick to that. <laughs> I, I am not opposed to fermented foods, Donna. I, I, and I appreciate this as a chance to the, the most important things you've learned. And, you know, they, they may be the opposite of what I've learned. And by the way, like, like I said, I, I'm a big fan of fermented foods, um, especially when they're fermented with the good stuff. So, and, and, and then also, I'm a big fan of yours, David. I don't think a day or even a, certainly not a week goes by where I'm not constantly recommending oh. the brain octane. I sat down with a little tea in my cup and added the collagen, wonderful collagen. You told me that people sleep better when they have it at bedtime. I tell everybody that because lots of people have sleep problems today. I'd say that's a bit of advice. You've got to fix if you're having a sleep problem. You got to fix that right away because you won't have energy. Yeah. Well, also your, your gut biome gets stressed if you don't get enough sleep, right? <laughs> oh, true. Yeah. Probably. So it's kind of funny. Um, yeah. That affects your your, your bacteria. Brain doesn't work right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. You've got great products, and oh. I appreciate that. And I'm always the first person to tell other people about other excellent products on the market. So and your your particularnessness. I mean, whatever you call it. Your 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 standards you know for yourself and for other people are so high that's why you bring out these high quality products and i'm very grateful for that well i i appreciate it and, and likewise you know the way you've hacked bacterial fermentation in order to create resistant strains but in cocoa biotic that's an achievement right there and just anytime you can help one autistic yeah. kid you've done something good <laughs> and uh, you've helped thousands and thousands and it's, it's very well acknowledged so, you know, hey, I'm an admi admirer of your work as well, and uh, I'm excited to be on your summit tomorrow. Great. i got to get busy about making up some questions to ask you. <laughs> uh, that would be you. no problem. Thanks a ton for being on the show today, Donna. And uh, would you just drop your URL one more time so people know where to find you? Just bodyecology.com. All right. One of the original places to learn about the gut biome. Donna, thanks for being on the show. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.